This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, Hawaii Talks. I'm Catherine Cruz. University officials have spent spring break ramping up for Monday. It's the day that classes are set to resume online because of the COVID health crisis. It will be a big test of our infrastructure. Will we see a crash or a slowdown as possible cyber choke points emerge? We reached out to Garrett Yoshimi, the Vice President of Information Technology and Chief Information Officer for the University of Hawaii System. It's pretty unprecedented in terms of the level of both the volume as well as the level of stuff that people are going to be doing for for UH starting next week for students, right, because they come back into class sessions online starting Monday. Although a lot of the faculty and staff have been working pretty hard at this, preparing, getting ready, getting lessons ready, making sure they're um, prepared to teach online. Um, Some of our our peer institutions on the mainland are already doing this stuff. Some of them have seen um, some performance issues on the public network. It's it's pretty variable though, so it's actually hard to tell. The the running joke is it's the internet, but <laughs> it's it's all about all the different parts and pieces that connect to each other to make stuff happen. In many cases, even um, a couple of small pieces can impact for a large number of people. So there's a lot of stuff in the in the path that we have to pay attention to. Some we can do stuff about, some we can't do much about. In part, we'll We've done a lot of stuff to prepare. Everybody's going to do the best we can, and um, there's there's uh, going to be some patience exercised as folks jump into the new world. We're hearing that the university's gotten additional Zoom accounts, and so I don't know, you know, yeah. what that means. Sure, sure. So that's just one of the the pieces of the puzzle. Zoom is a cloud-based, so in the public cloud video conferencing service. They're actually a public company, so they're publicly traded. They're one of the first companies of this type to go public, but very high-performance infrastructure, very um, large audience, large customer base, and it is one of the tools, one of the toolkits that we have available to both our staff and faculty as well as our students to um, to participate in in some of these interactive online classes. Um, there are a number of other tools available in the space. We actually have split our load between the Zoom product and the Google Hangouts product. Uh, we are we are a Google school, so that product is available to us as well. Zoom is a um, the best way to describe it. It's an endpoint. I'll use some long words, but endpoint agnostic video conferencing service. Um, it lives in the cloud, so it you can really connect to it from literally any place, anywhere, and just about any device. In addition to a desktop computer, you could be a laptop at a at a cafe someplace. Although maybe outside a cafe, since most of them are closed now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, on literally on your phone. Um, at home, the service will work in a lot of different on a lot of different devices. It is the quality of the service is dependent upon the network that feeds your device as well as the upstream network of whoever you're connecting to. Let me try and clarify that a little bit. So, for example, if you are a Hawaiian Telecom or a Spectrum customer, then the the pieces in in kind of big chunks, the pieces along the way will be your home network, be it a Wi-Fi network or a wired network, then the um, the carrier's network, so Hawaiian Telecom or Spectrum in this example, um, that connects from your house to their um, local backbone network, and then the, um, the services they buy to get from here to the mainland or some other um, space where the Zoom cloud lives. 
Um, in, in general, most of the folks connecting to Zoom from here will connect to one of their data centers on the, on the West Coast, but um, they have other uh, facilities across the globe that, um, that make this stuff happen. Are the carriers ready for this extra volume? I would say in general they are, but this is a, um, a volume that is almost unprecedented in the number of people that are going to try and do this over a broad period of time. They have, the carrier networks have been stressed in the past. I'll, I'll give you a great example, in fact. So you remember the, the last time they ran the Eddie Aikawa Surf Meet, mm -hmm. um, where a bunch of people were watching this on streaming video? So that actually created a huge stress on everybody's network. I think on the UH campus, we saw probably, trying to remember the exact number, but in excess of 10,000 streams from, from people watching it on campus in the dorms and campus center, on campus over the wireless network. Holy same cow. Yeah, Just same thing surfing. across the, um, the Hawaii Telecom, the Spectrum, the Verizon, the AT&T, the T-Mobile networks. There was a pretty interesting spike in traffic because of that, because of that specific event. And that was just one event at one time. The issue there is everybody was watching it live, so everybody hopped on at the same time, right? Right. So um, on Monday, are we going to get a crash? Will there be hiccups? I mean, you know, because you've got classes happening at different times. Right, right. We're hopeful that we've done enough planning ahead of time. There's always, there's always the unexpected, and we are prepared to respond if stuff happens from a from the server side, from the network side. This stuff is monitored real time by my staff on facility here, and we are watching it super carefully, just because we know that this is a level of of traffic and um, activity that is going to be pretty uncommon for us. Right. Now, ha having said that, uh, the first day of class, in kind of the traditional face-to-face -face class environment, we still do get bumps on the first day, first week, first couple of weeks of school as students show up, they connect to stuff. A lot of the things that they do at class are done on our online systems anyway. You know, first first day, first week of school, people doing last-minute course ad drops, changing registration at the last minute. Um, those kinds of things are always activities that we watch very closely because it potentially, any of those potentially could have impact that affects other people as well. If there is a hiccup on Monday, mm -hmm. uh, will it just affect the UH system? Will there be any issues with the, like the Maui supercomputer or everybody else that might be working remotely uh, at home? <laughs> so it kind of depends where the hiccups happen. The good thing is that at the university, we control a lot of our own infrastructure. But having said that, there's going to be a lot of folks coming in from their home network, right, or some wireless network off campus someplace. So there will be other networks in play. And I can tell you all of those carrier networks do exactly the same thing that we do on a constant basis. They always monitor their traffic. They look for both spikes as well as hiccups. Everybody's going to have eyes on just because we know that Monday a bunch of stuff is going to start happening. Okay, and then do you predict there will be peak times, like peak traffic on the highway? I, I think, as you noted, I think um, it won't be quite the same as rush hour on the first day of school. Man, bad time to be on the road. The, the good thing is that the classes are spread out throughout the day, but I think in the, you know, kind of the first part of the morning when everybody's waking up, figuring it out, getting logged on, I think there will be a natural peak the front part of the day, say between, I don't know, something like 7, 7.30 and 8 or 9 in the morning. But we do expect sustained traffic as the classes get conducted throughout the day. Some of the IT 
uh, data folks that I checked with are saying, well, yeah, Monday will be a big test, but maybe not all the private schools, let's say, are right. are back from uh, break yet. And then I right. don't know what the Department of Education decides to do, but there will be additional traffic out there besides all the government services that are being conducted online. Yep, yep. So this is, um, this is a test for everybody. And you're right, um, this coming week, we're back in classes, but in general, I think most of the K-12s are not. Um, I think the, um, most of the, if I remember correctly, most of the privates are at least out for another week. And then I think um, DOE has probably got another couple of weeks before students come back. Yeah, so there, there are different schedules out there. Right, um, right. So then that'll be another test. Yep, absolutely. I, and I think this is, so this is the new normal. Um, this is the world we live in that just gets more complicated. It's almost like you get a new Netflix series released every Monday, or you get a new online video game that gets popular and just people just jump on and camp on. There's a lot of stuff that impacts the public network, and this is the time where we have to pay very close attention to make sure that we do the best we can. I, I will never say that I'll guarantee it work, will work perfectly because there's no way to do that. We, we do have um, a lot of people paying attention to this. Well, Hope for the best, and you know, when stuff happens, we, we will respond. Now, the faculty union, I think, expressed some concern because, you know, maybe some of the professors need help. I mean, there might be a, a curve for some folks who haven't done this before. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been preparing for this for a while now. And, in fact, I think throughout this week in particular, because it is our spring break week, um, there has been a lot of activity around fa uh, both faculty and staff on all of our campuses working together to help those that need help and kind of help their peers to, um, to prepare to get ready for um, when students come back into the, into the virtual classrooms. Do you anticipate there will be other issues particular to neighbor islands? It's difficult to say. The neighbor islands, some of the issues I think will arise in some of the, um, the communities that are, more, um, that are more rural in nature and maybe have less of a, of a backbone network capacity that, that feeds back into the carriers. Some folks that live outside of some of the, uh, the traditional coverage, coverage areas will have a more difficult time getting connected. We do still have some small population of students as well as faculty and staff that aren't that well connected at home. So those folks you know, will have to try and look for alternatives. There's a couple of things that we're doing to help mitigate that. Uh, we do have, at the current time, all of our campuses are remaining open, and all of them do have facilities available to students on campus. If you know, if you absolutely can't get connected at home, if I remember correctly, I think the public libraries are probably still closed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can um, they can use lab facilities on campus. We have a number of labs here on the Manoa campus, and, I, and all of our campuses on a statewide basis um, do have some facilities available to try and help their students out. Okay. All right. Well, uh, uh, you've got lots to do, and I hope you have a good night's sleep <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someday. I don't sleep these days. Or, or <laughs> the, 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 the running joke is I sleep like a baby. I wake up every two hours crying with poop <laughs> in my pants. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, uh, we'll send good thoughts your way, and uh, hopefully all goes well on Monday. We'll have to talk to you on Tuesday, see yeah, how you're doing. We'll, we'll, see what the, we'll see what it's like. All right. Mahalo. Thanks, Catherine. 
That was Garrett Yoshimi, Chief Information Officer and Vice President Information Technology at the University of Hawaii. He was talking about preparations for Monday as uh, UH prepares to offer its classes online. And we now look abroad to Europe with the BBC as it continues to update us with the latest on COVID-19. Hello, this is the Coronavirus Global Update on the 20th of March. I'm Valerie Sanderson. Across the world, the coronavirus pandemic has now killed more than 10,000 people. There are 250,000 confirmed cases. More than 80,000 people have recovered. China has again reported no new domestic cases. Iran has the highest death toll from the disease after Italy and China. The official number of deaths is 1,433 people. Israna Rahampur. Several former health ministers have written to the Iranian president asking for tighter restrictions. The problem is that there there haven't been any official lockdowns. Today is the first day of the Iranian New Year and we have reports that about 3 million people have travelled inside the country and this means that they can potentially take the virus from hotspots to other cities that are better compared to major cities and they are travelling with the virus around the country but unfortunately the authorities are refusing to introduce a lockdown. Across Africa, the number of known cases of COVID-19 has increased to about 850. That's almost six times more than a week ago. Here's Anne Soy. Religious groups across Africa are taking unprecedented measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tunisia and Senegal have suspended all religious meetings, including Friday prayers. Meanwhile, the Committee to Protect Journalists is expressing concern that laws against misinformation could be abused and lead to repression and censorship against the media. And there's growing condemnation on attacks against foreigners on the continent. The U.S. embassies in Cameroon and Ethiopia say they've received reports of verbal abuse, online harassment, stone-throwing and banging on vehicles occupied by expatriates. China's Health Commission has reported no new homegrown coronavirus cases, but there are concerns about the possibility of new infections brought in by travellers. Australia has closed its borders to foreigners and in South America, Peru's leaders have announced the entire country is in lockdown. Russia has reported just under 200 cases. In Europe, the authorities are considering extending stringent lockdowns to try and halt the spread of the virus, with the death rate continuing to rise in a number of countries on the continent. Gavin Lee is in Brussels with the latest. The speed of cases increasing in Spain is faster than Italy and faster than China at this point. So that is a massive concern there. And the Spanish and the Greek government as well in the past 24 hours saying that they will close hotels. Switzerland has over 4,000 cases, a population of 8.5 million people per capita. That's the second highest level in the world. Here in Belgium, along with the Netherlands, uh, another nine countries are all have cases between 1,000 and 2,000. I've been speaking to Belgian doctors here, specialist doctors, dermatologists, gynaecologists as well, and they will be trained with ventilators for COVID cases. And the doctors here say they are really anxious. They expect an explosion of cases in the next three days. In the US, the governor of California has issued an order for all its people to stay at home. In an online news conference, Gavin Newsom said the virus was predicted to affect more than half of the state's population by May. We need to bend the curve in the state of California. And in order to do that, we need to recognize the reality that the virus will impact about 56% of us. You do the math in the state of California, that's a particularly large number. Our correspondent, David Willis, has more. 
And he said cases of the coronavirus were doubling every four hours in some parts of this state. And he's asking for a billion dollars in federal funding from Congress and the deployment of a Navy hospital ship to the port of Los Angeles to help cope with the anticipated surge. As the spread of the coronavirus continues, there's a lot of focus on the development of a vaccine which might prevent people from getting the infection and also on treatments. Pharmaceutical companies around the world are working on both. One of them is Sanofi. Its chief executive is Paul Hudson. To do it right, you're going to be giving a vaccine to hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people. And we need to make sure that it's safe and that it's effective and it's of a high quality. So it takes time. So, what exactly is being developed? Here's Tom Fielder. Researchers in France have reported very promising results with an anti-malarial chloroquine. And then there's also a lot of interest in antivirals like redemsevir, which was originally designed actually to combat uh, Ebola. That seems to inhibit replication of the coronavirus. Another uh, promising one, interferon beta, which is a molecule that, uh, that forms part of the body's own defence mechanism to reduce the severity of infection. And that's the end of this edition of the Coronavirus Global Update. I'm Valerie Sanderson. Until next time, goodbye. It's been a week since bad information floating on the internet panicked Hawaii shoppers who thought the shipping lines were going to be disrupted. Since then, officials have been trying to dispel rumors and calm the community down. We talked to Vic Angoko, Senior Vice President of Matson, one of two main shippers here in the islands. I'm talking on behalf of the Hawaii Harbor Users Group, which is made up of you know 24 members who operate in the harbors, right? All the shipping lines and tugs, pilots, and barges, barge operators, right? So really trying to get the message out that you know, it's business as usual. The, everybody is operating uh, their normal schedules, and we continue to make the calls here in Honolulu as well as in the neighbor islands regularly, like we've always, like we've always had. Um, and that the Coast Guard and Department of Transportation's Harbors Division, they've also they've confirmed that there are no plans to close any of the uh, ports in in Hawaii to cargo ships. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give. I'm trying to give a picture that not only that everything is normal, but maybe also give people an idea of, you know, how many ships are coming in here every week and how many barges are going to the neighbor islands so that they have some perspective on how they're being served, right? So the the shipping schedules haven't been altered. It's just this panic buy that people are into. That's what's causing the empty shelves, right? It is. It is, right? And, And the ports are also open in the West Coast, right? And even though... You know, as we've heard, uh, the uh, Bay Area, I think there are seven seven counties that are given the order of shelter in place. Um, the Port of Oakland put a press release out that they're open. And anybody relate, anybody in the shipping or transportation business or those who support such business is considered an essential business and can operate and not adhere to the shelter in place. So things will continue to move, ships will continue to sail, and cargo will continue to arrive. You know, beyond that is how do you how do you kind of get the message out to say, hey, you know, we've got bigger things to worry about here on trying to take care of each other. And as people lose their jobs or have shorter hours, the last thing they really should be worrying about is whether they're going to get uh, 
food or toilet paper or whatever. Everybody should be focused on just uh, trying to stay safe. Right, so. and uh, unfortunately there was some uh, bad information that was circulating on the Internet, I think, a week ago. I think we even oh, got a call yeah. from one of our listeners saying, have you heard anything about the harbors, about a disruption? And it's like, no such thing. Right, phones are blowing up on Thursday and Friday, right? Nothing's closing for 30 days and... Not true. Someone, yeah, and someone even said, uh, oh, they're closing tonight at 10, right? I was like, man, where do people get these things? None of that was true. Right, and and so you have no indication that anything is going to get disrupted. We're still going to see the, the normal barges coming and going. You know, you have that. You also have that big ship, the Lurling, which has, you know, more capacity. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, all the ships are running. Uh, you know, the ships here, the, the five ships that come in every week, you know, can carry anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 containers, right? So there's plenty, there's plenty, uh, plenty capacity, uh, and there are a lot of containers that come in here every week. So it's, it's definitely, it's certainly not an issue to worry about. And between uh, Matson and Pesha, uh, you've got the Young Brothers Barge that you know then also distributes to the neighbor islands. Um, you really just right. don't want to hoard because it uh, affects you know your neighbor down the street who may not exactly have enough supply on hand yeah and just so and just so you know i mean so i'm saying there's five there's five ships that come in between matson and patia every week right and and between matson and young brothers there are 20 sailings out of honolulu to to the neighbor islands every week as well right so you know all your major islands um between now between Kauai, maui and big island they get between four to six sailings a week and uh you know it's only molokai and lanai molokai i think gets two and lanai gets one from young brothers um but but there's a lot of sailings that continue to move straight into the neighbor islands as well so yeah I, i'm trying not to make it a, just a oahu oahu centric and try to get everybody that listens even on the neighbor islands you, you don't need to panic when it comes to buying to your food and, and essentials Right, so that pipeline is going to continue. It's just the rate at which consumers are pulling things off the shelves. So exactly. tell them to slow down. Exactly. There hasn't been any any change uh, that I'm aware of of cargo coming out of Asia. Uh, all of that has to go through. I mean, it all goes through customs clearance and all that. But as far as we've heard so far, I think the risk of coronavirus on cartons is very low, if anything, based on how long it takes for cargo to get here. But I mean, at this uh, point, any any shipments being delayed on that end? No, nothing coming. Uh, no shipments being delayed now. But what you may have heard, just from a, from the international scene, because of the significant drop in cargo since Chinese New Year, you may have heard that the international carriers have reduced the amount of of sailings that are going to the West Coast to the tune of I think into april they were projecting 111 sailings and this is probably two weeks old already that that would get canceled between um, asia and the west coast but that doesn't affect us here okay and and when we get product from the west coast is it mainly from long beach i hear two primary areas i mean la is the biggest uh has the most right but we pull it i mean we're pulling from from all three ports seattle oakland and la long beach no, everything is business as usual, and uh, that's that's the message uh, we want to we want to put out there, and that's the message the uh, the Coast Guard wants to put out as well. Is uh, you know, there's no there's no intention of uh, 
our plans to close any of the Hawaii ports. You know, the Coast Guard, they continue to do their um, screening on all ships that come into uh, into Hawaii for any illness and whatnot. So, so I mean, they continue to do their their, their part. And we follow their, uh, we follow their uh, guidelines as well as um, CDC. And this is, this is not like a, a storm where maybe you might have to divert your vessels. At, at, you know, at, at this point, it's, it is a health crisis, but it certainly isn't physically interfering with the ships coming in and out. Correct. Yeah, we leave on schedule off the West Coast and come in on schedule. And I just learned of a, uh, a, a website, Ports of Call, <coughs> where you can actually look to see the ships that come in every day. Uh, on the uh, uh, DOT Harbors website. That's very useful. <laughs> yeah, so that tracks everyday ship movements in and out of all the ports. Anything else you want to underscore for the neighbor islands? Just to reassure, Mike, that they, they also continue to get their sailings and uh, and the products continue to move through. So, Well, I think one of the things that I, I, I just wanted to, I mean, I, I only said that we had, I mean, I said we had five ships and arriving each week between Matson and Pesha. Mm-hmm. Ships are coming in every day. Five, there's five ships a week, and then we continue to uh, move the cargo Truckers continue to come in and move the move the cargo to the communities, and uh, and the cargo makes it to the shelves. Right, the 20 sailings uh, barges going to the neighbor islands, uh, they will continue to receive that, and the stores will also continue to be uh, replenished. And there has been no issues that we've heard of on even the truckers in all communities. So things continue to move on the logistics side, the transportation side. So please rest assured, everyone, that cargo will continue to uh, will continue to flow. That was Vic Ngoko, Senior Vice President of Matson Shipping Lines. He was uh, talking to us on behalf of the uh, Hawaii Harbor users. For links to those sailings, head to hawaiipublicradio.org. Honolulu Civil Beats Reality Check segment today looks at a flap that's emerged over COVID-19 testing. Chad Blair joins us to talk about the story. Hi there. <laughs> Good morning. Aloha Friday, Aloha Catherine. Aloha Friday, yes. Thank heavens it's Friday. I'm tired. Yes. <laughs> Good news there. <laughs> well, what can you tell us about this, uh, the brouhaha over testing? You know, so many people are talking about the testing or more accurately the lack of testing that's been going on here locally. This is from Eleni Gill. She's our health reporter. She'd be here today if she could. But guess what? She's off doing more health reporting so we can get the latest. But her report that's up on our website today, the Department of Health uh, has deliberately uh, narrowed the amount of testing that they are doing uh, in order to conserve resources. The DOH has really only had 40 tests that they've conducted so far. uh, And that's only for people that were recommended by a doctor who were seriously ill to go and get tested. There is another part of the Department of Health called the State Laboratories Division. It has done 124 random tests. There were no uh, positive results from that, but that is the state's position that we need to conserve resources 
um, uh, in order to continue maintaining uh, a healthy situation here. But as you probably know, people as prominent as Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who is a medical doctor, he's very upset about this. He calls it a total fail. He says we should be. And when we say we, I mean the state of Hawaii, testing much more. He pointed to places like Singapore and Taiwan that have had wide screening. And by doing so, what's the phrase? Been able to flatten the curve, right? To diminish the spread of the coronavirus. Well, I know the concern about uh, ramping up the testing is that uh, we don't have enough supplies, right, in order to screen for this thing. That has a lot to do with it. There are at least two commercial laboratories that have been uh, testing well over a 1,000 people so far. And when they do get positive results, they turn that data over to the Department of Health. And as you know, so far, there's just been 26 cases. Pretty lucky is how Dr. Green described that, that there's only been that many. But these two commercial laboratories are running low on supplies, and that is a big concern. It was comforting to hear your earlier report about the ships still coming in, and I don't know how these supplies would be uh, secured, but that is something that there's just not enough. Um, But the DOH so far has been saying, look, unless you're really seriously ill, there's no need to to get a test unless your doctor is is, uh, requiring it. Yeah, I was at uh, a drugstore, and I was looking for a thermometer, and they said, oh, we had some today for about an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's, you know... Uh, just got to slow the, the 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 pace at which people are pulling things off of the shelves. But you know, you 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 kind of can understand. You can burn through these supplies pretty fast if you're just testing. Yes, and and the DOH did say, look, if if necessary, uh, we can do as many as 250 tests a week. If absolutely necessary, due to an emergency, we could do 500. So you know, they are keeping their. Um, their resources uh, in case they are needed. We haven't moved up yet to that emergency situation. One wonders whether the governor is going to move further. As you've probably heard, other states, particularly New York and Washington State and California, and I think just this morning, Illinois, have really cracked down basically ordering a shelter uh, at home status. I know that's the case in California. Uh, and uh, one wonders whether that's going to happen. We don't know what the governor's spokesperson did tell us is that there will be some more stringent measures being announced shortly. We don't know when that will be. One proposal has come out of that Senate special committee that had to evacuate yesterday because of Senator Nishihara coming down with the coronavirus. They have insisted that they'd like to see home quarantining for all passenger arrivals when they get off the plane here in Hawaii. Well, I know lots to cover, lots to keep track of. Uh, We certainly appreciate uh, you being with us today. Keep washing your hands, Catherine. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. That was Honolulu Civil Beat's opinion and political editor, Chad Blair, with today's Reality Check. To find out more, visit civilbeat.org. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Pacific Database, Chaminade University, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. 
As a child, Jane Goodall had a plan. That was when my dream started. When I grew up, I would go to Africa, live with animals, and write books about them. That's how it all began. I'm John Dankosky. On the next Science Friday, Jane Goodall joins me to reflect on 60 years of research in the Gombe and the need for hope in our world today. That's on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Starting this afternoon at 1. The Federal Trade Commission released a warning recently to be on guard for scammers trying to prey on your fears during this scary health crisis. We checked in with ARP's Craig Gima about what the organization is doing to tell its members, you know, how to stay safe from those trying to steal your money. Scary situations are perfect for scammers, right? Because what they try to do is, if you think logically about a lot of these scams, you're not going to fall for them. But if you throw you off your game, if you start thinking about reacting from emotion like fear then that's when they can get you. And so coronavirus is perfect for scammers, and we're, you know, we're starting to see scammers pop up and try and take advantage of people's fears about the virus. Right, and people need to know that there is no cure and there is no vaccine, and uh, to be real right. wary if you see Silver, products. essential oils, things like that, they do not prevent you from getting the virus. Um, the FTC just took action against seven companies who uh, put out advertising saying that, you know, this, this, this will help cure the virus or help prevent the virus. And they said, cease and desist. Don't do that. There's no such thing. There's no evidence that There's no that evidence that any of these that. products will do that. And making false claims like that will subject you to the government cracking down on you, the as they should. <laughs> the government cracks down when there's price gouging. And here is a situation where people are preying on your fears. Exactly. What are some, I guess, common sense tips? The CDC won't be sending you emails telling you to click on this to, be, to learn about the virus or prevent, prevent, your, prevent yourself from getting the virus. Be aware of any emails. Those phishing schemes are out there. You know, there might be some phone calls. Like if they're, skip, if they're, they're tracing people, people's movements, they might, you might get a phone call. But don't do this. Hang up and look up the phone number or dial 211 to get the number to call them back and make sure it's a legitimate number, that someone's not trying to scam you and say, oh, you've been exposed to the virus and you have to do this, you have to send money or you have to do something else. Don't fall for that. It might, it's scary, but don't fall for it. Call them back and call, make sure you look up the number, not the number they give you. We've seen this before. This is not new. You know, there were things, I think, floating out there with SARS. These scammers use the headlines. They, 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 they look for things, that new things that pop up that you might not be familiar with and to, to come up with their scams. But generally, they're the same scams with a different skin, right? This different skin now is coronavirus. The CDC is not going to ask you for your financial information or your Social Security number. We saw with the, um, with the census scams that there is that shame factor. You should still report it because, you know, there's still a chance. If you catch it, just, just like the coronavirus, if you can stop it early, maybe you can stop it and or, then, or, or lessen the curve. And um, what's been uh, the experience of ARP, I mean, as far as uh, questions from their members and concerns that people have? Because a lot of these scams operate outside of our country. In terms of, this, in terms of the coronavirus, you know, basically we're trying to put out as much factual information as we can. Our website, we have a, on our website, ARP.org slash coronavirus information, the latest information that we've vetted. Um, we have a team of journalists who work on our website and we have um, experts in the house and also we're talking to some of the best, some of the experts around the country. So we're putting information out on that and that information, scams is part of that information that we're putting out. And I'm not sure about some of our most vulnerable, let's say that are in, you know, in the care homes, 
you know, or maybe some unlicensed care homes and, and, and might not have, let's say, the family support around, but maybe somehow the scammers, you know, have their phone numbers. If they're, if they're in a care home and you're, 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 if it's a relative, you know, you should talk to them about that. Be aware. Let Check with the care home. Talk to them about what their procedures are about if email or phones and, and make sure that they're looking out for your loved one. Best advice, still, even if it's scarier and they're saying it's coronavirus, unless you know who's calling and unless you can ver- hang up and if it's if it really is the CDC Department of Health, call them back. But still, the first <laughs> first thing to do is hang up. Phishing, don't click on the links in the emails. Text messages, don't click on those text messages emails either. And then you, you folks just recently did a uh, uh, kind of a town hall thing via phone, and I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of interesting, huh? With, with this whole uh, concern about social distancing, uh, you know, you, you might have events scheduled for your members that might be affected. Yeah, so we are um, we're probably we're going to c- cancel most events. Um, the CDC advice for people at risk is still valid, right? Um, social distancing, practice social distancing, stay six feet away from people, and avoid large crowds. So some of our membership is un- is not in that high risk group. We go from 50 to six, 50 and older. So that's sort of what we're evaluating. And for for those members and volunteers who are 60 and older, we we, we do want to make sure that they're safe, and they should everybody should consider the the CDC and um, local health department guidance about whether or not you should attend events. And there is concern because they are the most vulnerable group. And you've been out in the community talking to folks like at the food bank and, and, and places, you know, where the, where the elderly depend on these services. That's, so that's sort of the biggest, um, that's, that's the balancing act, right? People, you, you want to keep them safe. On the other hand, like some of these services like the food bank, um, tax aid, which, um, which goes with the lowest income people, People depend on these services um, and, and need, in some cases really need these services. Food, food bank is an example. So how do you balance? I think that's part of the dilemma that everybody's kind of still working through. Um, you, you need to balance those, th- those needs, right? Are uh, you for, working for, with, like, say, the uh, Office of Aging? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's probably some basic messaging that's going out to all these agencies. We're taking our guidance from our national office, which is working with experts in, in, in Washington, D.C., Pretty much most events are going to be, if most if not all events, are going to be suspended or rescheduled or canceled. Right, just because things are, are changing daily. Well, you know, and the, you know it just, it's sort of, it's, it's, much of it is common sense, right? If you're in a high-risk group, you should avoid crowds. Um, here's the other thing. Like, even though you should avoid crowds, you know, being so, you shouldn't isolate yourself totally. Being totally socially isolated is also bad for your health. So, um, you, you know, it's a good, for those who can, they should use technology. For those who aren't familiar with technology, they should learn how to do maybe FaceTime and be out, get on the phone. Don't cut yourself off completely, right? You, you, you want to be careful. You want to follow the guidelines, but you shouldn't just be a hermit. You should, you, it's, a, it's really, really important that you stay social. Use FaceTime on Facebook. Use um, mess- text messages. Use phone calls, old-fashioned phone calls. Right. And keep in touch with people. Right. So if, if you happen to be in a long-term care facility and you're not getting any guests, any visitors, um, you don't want to be lonely. You know, that's a, that's a hard choice that every family member has to make. But obviously, if you're sick, you want to stay out of a nursing home. You should consider, you know, how how to to do those visits. Like some, here's some other advice for care for caregivers, especially right. They should they should probably follow some of the same advice that they do for the people that care for them, uh, and they should. Uh, here's the other thing that maybe people don't think about: they should maybe come up with a backup plan because if they get sick, what are they going to do to make sure the care for their loved one continues? 
So, so start talking to other relatives and friends. Start, start building your, your team of caregivers so that if someone gets sick, so the person who's being cared for will still be able to get some care. Okay, so lots of things lots to think about things. with this virus, whether it's uh, making sure you don't fall victim to a scammer or you don't succumb yourself. Caregivers need to take care of themselves, and they also have to have a backup plan. And it's, you know what? It's, it's not a bad deal thing anyway to have, the, to, uh, to have a backup plan or have a team of people to support you as a caregiver. All good advice. Craig Gima, thank you very much. That was Craig Gima from AARP with lots of good advice about staying safe during this COVID crisis. For links, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a collection reflecting the cultural diversity of the islands and a commitment to presenting art and exhibitions that inspire. More at honolulumuseum.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Anat Baniel, author of Kids Beyond Limits. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about miraculous breakthrough ways to help your child with special needs. Sunday morning at 11. We continue our Olympic coverage in the shadow of this uh, health crisis. Uh, today, we showcase two local beach volleyball players, uh, Triborn and Trevor Crabb. They grew up playing volleyball together at the Outrigger Canoe Club. And now the duo is poised to make their first Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo this year. Uh, Taylor Crabb, Trevor's brother, is uh, partnered with Jake Gibb, and they're also in the running for an Olympic spot. If all holds, that means three out of the four men representing the U.S. in beach volleyball would be from Oahu. But that could be all up in the air with the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, concerns. And uh, they just wrapped up a tournament in Doha earlier this month. But other qualifying events could be postponed or canceled. The conversations Harrison Patino caught up with Bourne and Crab as they self-quarantine at home in California. I grew up near the beach where there were courts, you know, down at Outrigger Canoe Club. Trevor and I both grew up there. That's actually how we got to know each other. But, um, yeah, I mean, volleyball is just the one sport out of the many sports that we played that, that kind of just stuck with us. I and mean, we felt like we were getting better and better as from, you know, when we first started playing as kids. Our group of friends ended up becoming really good volleyball players. So we tried to take it as far as we can, and we're, we're still trying to see how long we can play volleyball for and, you know, not have to get a real job, just play volleyball. Yeah, so, I mean, I got into it basically through my dad because he was a volleyball player himself so we got to learn the game just by watching him too and then as try was saying you know we had a large group of friends that would always go down to the outrigger and play together and you know almost uh, everyone that has been in the olympics so far whether beach or indoor has been a member at outrigger that's been from hawaii so it's had a huge impact on us and we we're fortunate enough to have that 
So counting both of you guys and Taylor, there's three Oahu players representing the U.S. in beach volleyball. So what do you think it is about Oahu that produces such a great stock of volleyball players? Uh, I think we have uh, a lot of good programs, you know, whether it's club volleyball or, or high school volleyball. We have uh, a lot of good ex-players uh, that are now coaches uh, teaching those programs. So, yeah, I know that's kind of where it starts. You know, when you have good programs, you can funnel kids in and teach them the game early and uh, get them better. For me personally, you know, I didn't have volleyball in my bloodline like a lot of my friends did and a lot of the kids that I grew up around, like crabs. Um, so I was kind of just like always running around and, and seeing who I could learn from. And uh, There's such a rich volleyball community in Hawaii and a lot of people have been, you know, a lot of my friends' parents. It wasn't always just coaches, you know, it was like ex-players or friends' parents um, and just people down at the club. So I think, it, you know, a lot of our success is due to the rich volleyball community and, and a lot of people who are willing to share and teach the youth. So the sports world is really thrown into disrepair with this coronavirus outbreak. What are your guys' individual concerns about this? How are you staying sane with all this? I assume it's a lot of indoor workouts. Yeah, definitely. We're, uh, we're staying inside for the most part. I have some stairs on the outside of my complex, so I've been going up and down those a little bit. Um, like I said, I, I built out my garage to a nice gym where I can get legit workouts in but you know we're just trying to stay safe and be smart about it you know we're ready to play we're kind of in season mode already but things change so we have to change our, our mentalities as well so what's the plan with you guys if the Olympics gets uh, postponed or canceled uh, Trevor you can take this one first so basically if the Olympics were to get canceled or postponed you know our focus would be solely on the uh, AVP season there their season, uh, they already pushed back a couple events and canceled a couple events. So um, if everything kind of doesn't get any doesn't get much more from now, then there'll still be a partial AVP season later in the summer. Who knows, like when they'll postpone the Olympics, or if it's like a couple months, or if it's like a year or two years. That's totally up in the air still. There's really no nothing we can do about that right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I just try to keep in mind that everyone's in the same boat on this one, so. As of right now, we're just keeping ourselves in shape. But, I mean, I can't lie. Like, trying to make the Olympic team is, is well, it's almost like a lifelong goal, you know, and, and you put a whole four years of work into it. So we've put in a lot of work, and uh, we really don't want to see it go away. But, yeah, we'll just we'll just see what what they give us. It's really, uh, to me right now, we're, we're all kind of competing to see who can adapt the best to, to all these new changing circumstances. So, uh that's kind of the challenge. So the USA swimming team actually just requested a year postponement for the Olympics, citing that a lot of their athletes are under a lot of stress and can't really focus on sports at a time like this. Do you guys share the same concerns and the same stress? You know, I don't I don't think that the game should necessarily be postponed just because athletes are under stress, you know. Everyone's under a similar amount of stress, you know. As athletes, some of us are injured or some of us handle pressure. So there's always going to be differences. So, I mean, if that, that can just be a new storyline of the that the athletes are pushing through these hard times and finding ways to continue to get better and compete. And um, I kind of like us just trying to run it as long as it's safe. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously everyone's stressed out about this. Um, but if... You know, if it's safe in Japan during the Olympic, if it ends up being, if they clear it up in Japan and 
everything's good to go for safety reasons. You know, there shouldn't be any reason they should postpone the um, the games. And I think that, uh, yeah, just because some athletes are stressed out more than others doesn't mean that they should postpone it, you know, at all. I can certainly understand your guys' frustration having a lot of hard work getting postponed or put off, but do you think that just given where you guys are now, that in and of itself, you know, coming from Hawaii and representing Hawaii volleyball, that's an achievement in and of itself getting this far? Yeah, I mean, obviously the end goal is to be in the Olympics and um, even podium in the Olympics, uh, but uh, just being in this position, you know, I'm already grateful for it. It's been a lifelong dream to be able to compete for an Olympic spot. And to be able to say, you know, at the top of top of our sport, uh, just you know, is already a huge achievement. But like I said, I mean, the end goal is always to be in the Olympic Games, and um, if it happens, you know, this year, great. But you know, if it happens, doesn't happen until twenty twenty four, then you know, as, as long as it happens, and that's what we're gonna keep going for. Um, we still have a good amount of years uh, left in us, so I'm just taking it you know, one step at a time. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an accomplishment to see how far we've come, especially me and Trevor, because we've only played one full season together. So it's an accomplishment, and and I don't overlook that. But we're really close right now to uh, achieving our first big goal, which is just to make the Olympic team. Um, So I think we're still putting a lot of energy on that. just doing every little thing we can, even though that's not really much right now, to um, make sure that that happens. Because as of right now, we are in the number two spot for the U.S. Um, but, no, it's a, it's a huge deal to be in the position that we're in. It's really cool to be sharing um, this, these top spots with Taylor as well, three Hawaii boys from Outrigger, uh, representing Hawaii and also the entire United States is really cool for us. And we've been hearing from Hawaii Beach volleyball players, Triborn and Trevor Crabb. They're in position to be one of two teams representing Team USA in the Summer Olympics in Japan. Well, that's it for this Aloha Friday. Coming up next week, we check in with the National Guard on how it's preparing for this mission as we battle COVID-19. How are you coping? Got some stories about kindness during this COVID crisis? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation, HPR, or tweet us at HI Conversation. Visit The Conversation page on the HPR website to listen back to our shows. Our program produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, and Jason Ubai. Our backyard theme quiz written by John DeMello and uh, Gypsy 808, our theme music. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us Monday. Pick up the conversation.